Hey, we are uh, continuing uh, a series which is called um, Hunger. Last week, um, I was rude, I guess, apparently, some people thought, by eating food in front of the whole congregation. Some people just got, that was kind of rude. And it got me to thinking, you know, about Wendy's, that really, man cannot live on Wendy's alone, can they? Sometimes we need to do things a little bit better. And sometimes, you know, well, I've got my, there we go. Sometimes it can be an experience, can it? Like eating can be such a wonderful thing sometimes. I think I got this correct. Anyways, I'm trying to do the best I possibly can. But sometimes there's something. Is that okay, critics? I kind of heard you out there. Sometimes you need to go a little bit further, right? Don't you think that, that that is the case? You know, so sometimes you just, sometimes you need a little ambiance with it. You know, you, you, you need to kind of go the extra mile sometimes. And sometimes it is a great thing to do to just, to just you know... To do things in style. <laughs> now let's say, folks, that it was my wife's birthday. And I said to my wife, wife? No. I said to my wife, Angela, we got something planned which is absolutely wonderful today. And so, so today, uh, when I get home, we're going to celebrate your birthday. And, and I've got th- something special <laughs> from... McDonald's. <laughs> and I would dare to say that if my wife saw McDonald's in a bag, she would say, you can take your McDonald's and throw it in the garbage. And I'm being prepared for you to take me to La Keg. Right? I don't want McDonald's. And sometimes that's a funny thing. Well, you know, I guess these things are okay. And the generous thing about McDonald's is it comes with this free bellyache. They don't charge you for the bellyache, do they? And have you noticed, really, that there's a difference between the keg and McDonald's? Have you ever noticed, and, and I haven't studied this intently, but have you noticed that there are no drive-throughs at the keg. Like, I can't drive through the keg and say, I'll order a prime rib and, uh, and you know, the, a baked potato, loaded baked potato. Are you getting hungry now as I start talking about these things? Sometimes the meal, um, the good meal, takes time. Costs a little bit more. Sometimes you need to have those times where the meal is a special thing. And when it comes to our faith, sometimes what happens is we live on a fast food faith. That God creates a hunger in us and we fill that faith with fast food. We go from experience to experience. And our relationship with God goes no further then the next rain cloud, the next experience, the next high that I feel. But God wants us to go deeper, doesn't he? 
I don't think we want to have what I would call a fast food faith. I think God calls us onto something a little bit higher, doesn't he? And so that's the challenge as we go ahead because I'm going to burn my notes if I don't blow this out, folks. I'm sorry. One thing I've come to realize is that God wants us to go a little bit deeper. And so a few weeks ago, God put on my heart the series that we're going through now, which is called Hunger. And it stems from the fact that God sometimes makes us hungry before he actually gives us his best gifts. You find that to be true? It is only three weeks until Christmas. It is like December the 4th, 21 days. Three weeks until Christmas. And for those of us who, uh, who are followers of Jesus, and maybe this is the first year you've been following Jesus, it's going to be a wonderful time at Christmas because it, it celebrates what we call the incarnation. And the incarnation is basically this, that, that God came in human form to pay the price for our sins. That we were lost, desperate. We had no way of saving ourselves in any way, shape, and form. And God is the one who starts the pursuit. And what he does is he comes down in human form. And he takes upon the form of a servant. And what he does is he pays the price for our sins. To redeem us, it says, from the curse of the law. To provide a way. And it is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Where Paul says, and he talks about this, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That this is such a wonderful thing that we can't even put into words all that it involves. And it's true. So the series, the series basically centers around a question. If God were to give you a present this year, what would the most valuable gift be for you? Last week we talked about healing. See, the, the best gifts that God gives, we can't pay for. Sometimes the best gifts that God gives is his spirit and his, his, his healing in whatever way, shape, and form, because that's what he wants to do. That's what Christmas is all about. And Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, says, in, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under a law, to redeem those who were under the law. That first statement there, when the fullness of time has come, that's kind of an interesting statement, don't you think? Like, like, it, that is, I think, the King James version of it. But New International says, like, in the perfect time, or if you take a look at different renditions, they, they kind of interpret it differently, but it kind of all says the same thing. At the perfect moment, at the time when things were perfect to happen, God sends his son. And for those of you who, who, who really don't know some of the things in terms of, of the history at that time, there was a 400-year period, an over 400-year period, where God doesn't speak the last... Old Testament document and the, the New Testament starting is about 400 years. And, and in that time, what God does is he creates all these scenarios. But the one thing that he's doing the most is preparing our hearts. He creates what I call an angst. He creates a yearning. Something that we want, that, that we really need. And until we get to that point of hunger... We're not really willing or able to receive what God has for us. And if I must confess something to you, it's this. That I find myself hungry for God. I find myself desiring to see God move. And what I find right now, and I'm old enough to do this now, is that sometimes I mistake nostalgia 
for hunger. Oh, I remember the way it used to be. I remember how we used to see this take place. I remember, and I, oh, it's such a wonderful, I remember all these times, I remember these things, and we have all these experiences, and they're good experiences. I'm not criticizing the experiences, but sometimes we fall in love with the experience. Sometimes we become hungry for the experience rather than being hungry for God. And, and with all that has happened and all that has taken place over the last couple of decades and how things have changed, I always come to realize that sometimes God will move different in one generation than he does in the other. There will be different ways that we communicate. There will be different ways that God moves. But there will always remain a constant that every single generation is looking for something authentic. Every generation is looking for something real. And that reality only comes through the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would that not be true? So I got myself to thinking. The Christmas story, well, it has a lot to do with God the Father. It has a lot to do with, with God the Son, obviously. God who created us gives man his free will. And we are, we are free to choose whichever way we go. And sin enters the enters the the scenario because of that free will and, and Jesus, in God's way of pursuing us, Jesus humbles himself and becomes, and becomes like us. So we see God the Father. We see God the Son. But where do we see the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story? The answer to that is all over. All over, particularly in the book of Luke. The two main stories which tell the Christmas story is Matthew and Luke. And Matthew is trying to prove to the Jewish audience there that Jesus is in the Messiah. And so what he does is he goes through a big genealogy. This person begat that person, that person begat that person. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to prove the lineage that Jesus was actually in the line of David. It was an important thing to Jewish people at that time. Whereas Luke is a little bit different. Luke is a Gentile writer. He's a doctor. And he refers to Jesus, and his emphasis is that Jesus is the Son of Man. If there was a Pentecostal writer, it was Luke. So we are fans of Luke. Amen? But as Luke tells the story, he gives a bunch of hints of how the Spirit of God is moving. Starts off with Zechariah, angel visiting him. What do you mean? What's going on? How, 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 my, hey, I'm old. My, my, my wife is old. How is this going to happen? And basically what happens is he becomes speechless. And the Spirit of God begins to move in his heart. Then all of a sudden, there's, there's Mary in Mary, uh, chapter, Mary in, um, Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Mary is confronted by the angel. And the angel basically says this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you'll bear a child. Another chapter later, Mary visits Elizabeth. And it says in the scripture this. That when Elizabeth saw Mary, said the baby leapt within here. How can that happen other than by the Spirit of God moving? Then there's the song of Mary. After the birth of the Messiah, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, refers to a poem, a song, which is called the Song of Mary. Then all of a sudden there is Zechariah too. Not that there is a book of Zechariah and a second Zechariah or anything like that. We're talking about this one here. All of a sudden it's time for John the Baptist to be born. Everyone's thinking, hey, he needs to be called Zechariah after the father. And, 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 and Elizabeth's saying, no, it's supposed to be John. And says, well, let's get Zechariah to set Elizabeth straight. And so what happens 
he gets a writing pad and says, his name will be John, with camel skin on. He'll point the way to the Lamb of God. Remember that song as kids? Oh, my goodness. My kids listen to that all the time. Anyway, sorry, folks. And so all of a sudden, Holy Spirit releases his, his lips, his voice, and he begins to speak again. There's this obscure verse, one or two verses later in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, and it talks about the raising of John the Baptist. He goes into, into the wild and says, he became strong in spirit. Now let's just talk about a consensus, how God moves and intervenes with man so that prophecy is fulfilled. And not, and, and not only that, there's the aspect of the angels, and there's the aspect of a star that we can prove now existed at that particular time. And, and, and not only that, there were magi, that somehow there was a working and inter, interceding that was happening with, with God through the Holy Spirit to these people. There's a, a, a dream that he says, listen, you need to get out of here because Herod's going to be killing everybody. All through the Spirit of God. He talks about Simeon. He says there was a good man filled with the Holy Ghost. Anna, it says that she was a prophetess. She gives this prophecy. So where's the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story? The answer is this. All over. It's all over the, the, uh, the, the book uh, of Luke. And so it's interesting to see. And I ask myself, when we hear about the Holy Spirit, many times it kind of starts in the book of Acts. When, when Jesus leaves, he says, he says, don't leave this place, Jerusalem, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But you see beforehand that God was moving by his Spirit, even in these characters in the Old Testament. And there's similarities which is happening in them, which we saw today in our lives today. And there are three distinct ways, I think. There are probably a number. But if you can give me a few minutes, I think that there are three ways that we see the Spirit of God moving in the Christmas story and similar to how he moves now. First one is this. The realization that we are vessels. If you're here and you're, you're not following Jesus, or maybe you're just kind of in the midst of following Jesus, or maybe you're here online and you're just trying to figure things out, I'm not too sure uh, why you're not um, serving the Lord, or maybe you're just at that point where you're part of the journey and you're just trying to figure things out, or maybe some terrible things happened to you, and I can completely understand why uh, perhaps you have it. But if there was a reason to give Jesus all of your life, I think this would be the reason. First of all, it says that we are vessels, that the Holy Spirit flowed and used Zachariah and used Elizabeth and used Mary and used Anna and used Simeon, that he used them. And if God used them and flowed through them, how much more is it the same today? When Jesus leaves, he says, I am going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to live within you. And so, so the one thing we realize... Today in our lives, if you know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is housed in you, that the Holy Spirit moves and flows through you. This is a wonderful thing. Scripture talks about it all the time. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal body. If the Spirit dwells in you, it does. How about Galatians chapter uh, 2, verses 20? Or maybe it's 3, verses 20. I'd have to double-check that. Sorry, folks. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet. Not I, but Christ what? 
lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. When you give your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit uses you as a vessel to flow through you. And we are supercharged with the baptism of the Holy Spirit as Pentecostals, that we want to be a supercharged vessel for his glory. Supercharged with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we ask ourselves, what kind of vessel are we? Are we a conductive vessel? Are we kind of like that thing, if electricity flows through something, it needs to be a good conductor? You know, are we a pure vessel that the Spirit of God can work through? I think it is Psalm chapter verse 24, which says, Who's going to ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, says. Or about the broken vessel that it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. That there is something about brokenness. There is something about humility. Is that something about that time where we say, I'm not anything, God, other than what you flow through me. Are we, are we an unlike, unlikely vessel? We're all like that child who has five loaves and two fishes. Who would have thought that that would be the person that God would use to feed 5,000 people? We're all unlikely vessels. We don't get to a point where we earn it, and God only uses those people who earn it. He just uses us independently and, and sporadically in whatever way I don't know and I haven't figured out, or is anybody else. The real question is, are you a willing vessel? If you have Jesus in your heart, beware of this, that you are a vessel that God works and flows through. The other thing is this that we see. Not only are we a vessel, but we are what is called a vehicle. We are vehicles. Not only does the Spirit of God flow through us, He transports the message through us as well. If you take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what it says there is that, hey, sis, listen, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to fail you in Jerusalem, and then I'll take it from there. He doesn't. The way the gospel was expanded was through people like you and me. You become the vehicle. You become the one that God uses. And the sobering thought of all this is this is that sometimes for some people, you are the only vehicle that God uses to reach people. And I will not be able to reach some of the people that you reach because I am not your neighbor's neighbor, but you are. That God has you in a unique, unique position, a unique ministry, which you cannot default to somebody else. And the wonderful thing about God is this. God just doesn't say, ah, that's who they are, they're gone, they can do it, go on their own. God is the one who does the pursuing. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit does the pursuing through us. He transports the gospel through us. This is a wonderful thing. So if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if Jesus is part of your life, then you are a carrier. You are a carrier of the gospel to your family. And you are a carrier of the gospel to your workplace. And you are a carrier of the gospel to your neighborhood. 
and you are a carrier of God to your bowling team, to your curling team, to your softball team, to your hockey team. And you are a messenger to your sewing group and your reading group and your pottery group and your singing group. And you carry the message to your book club and your art club and your hunting club and your bridge club. And the reality of it is this, that this message which you carry is the greatest message that anybody could possibly hear. And the greatest thing about this message is that it goes on into eternity. It is the eternal message. It is the, it is the most wonderful message that we can have. Not only are you a vessel whom the Spirit of God works through, you are the carrier of that vessel. You are the carrier of that power. God has somehow worked in a way that he says, I am going to make you the ambassador. You are going to be the one who represents me. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We are all ambassadors through Christ, as though Christ is making the appeal through us. Ephesians 6 verse 20, Paul says, I'm an ambassador in bonds. I represent, I carry it, I tell it to other people. And somehow God has used you. Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we don't take serious the fact that we are the vessel. And we need to see this. We need to see this important for the very same reason as this. That God does not want us to go to heaven alone. God wants us to bring as many people as we can with us. Does that not make sense to you? It's true. I think we need to take on the reality of the message of the carrier seriously. We need the Spirit of God to make us effective as a vehicle to people. How does he do that? Well, by knowing the Word. By giving a reason to the faith of the Every single one of us needs to figure out a way to explain the gospel to someone easy that is easy for us. You know, for me, it's God is love, man is the sinner, Jesus is the way, faith is the key. This is the gospel. You know, God is love. He loves us, but we are a sinner. We've separated us from God. Jesus came and died on the cross, but faith is the key to accept him. That is kind of the gospel. So anyone comes up and says to you, hey, how do, how do I become a Christian? You have an answer within you. We carry the message through our testimony. Every single one of us has a story. There's a powerful thing. Never, ever downplay your testimony. Even if your testimony is, I grew up in a Christian home and I served God all my life, that's it. There's something powerful of how God moves in our lives through all of that. God uses your story. God uses your lifestyle. Are you the vehicle that God is calling you to be? Amen. And you need to be a vehicle. And you need the Holy Spirit to be the vehicle. You know why? Because you don't want to be that weirdo that everybody avoids because you're not doing it in the Holy Spirit. You want to be that person who loves Jesus passionately and is asking the Spirit of God to work through them so that when you do take that chance, that God will move. We need the Spirit of God. No man comes to the Father unless what? Unless the Spirit draws them. It's an important thing. Not only are we vessels and not only are we vehicles. Here's an important one. That we're visitors. You ever stop, folks, to consider the fact that Christmas really is about eternity. That Jesus didn't come in human form so that we could live these wonderful, comfortable lives and then die and it's over. There is an eternal reflection on the fact 
of God moving on our lives. And one of the most important jobs of the Holy Spirit is to prepare us for eternity, to prepare us for heaven, to remind us that we were never intended to settle in this life. And if all of a sudden you realize that you are just a visitor, it changes you. It changes how you behave. It changes how you invest. It, ha- it changes how you respond. And stop and consider for a second. Seems like most of the times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about how the Holy Spirit gives us power for now. We talk about how the Holy Spirit will bring healing for our lives now. To bring us uh, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost for this life. But when we consider the fact that our life only lasts, if you live to be 100 years old, you're doing quite well. But the real story is, is that you will be living for eternity. And so the, one of the foundational effects of the Holy Spirit moving in our lives is to somehow convince us of the fact that there is a heaven that is worth living now towards. That we need to take seriously the fact that there is a God that wants to use us in that way. The greatest work is to lead us to eternity. Problem is, we get angry when God intervenes in the now life. God, why are you not doing now? Why are you not moving now? Why am I facing this now? Well, because it isn't about your comfort. It's about your formation. It's about the fact that God is working on your life so that you will be effective for eternity. What a powerful concept. The important question is not how many Um, are in the church these days. The question is, how many people are engaged in the church today? What do you mean by engaged? Well, engaged people, I can say the only difference between an engaged and an unengaged person in our churches today is that one is convinced of the fact that their citizenship is not in heaven, where the other ones have somehow forgotten that. Are you sitting in the pew and not effective, or not involved, or not engaged, it may be true that you really don't believe in heaven. Biggest problems that we're facing today is the fact that unsaved people don't believe in a place called hell. But even more problem is this, is that many Christians don't believe that there's a heaven. Don't really believe that it exists, or at least we live as though it doesn't exist. If your investments and your interests and all of your pursuits and all of your goals end at 80 or 90 years old, you have tragically forgotten that there is a heaven. And if you've forgotten a heaven, ask yourself, am I really going to go there? This is kind of heavy stuff. The tragedy among Christians is that we talk about heaven, but we live like it does not exist. This is what Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 says. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from here, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And God wants to move through you. You can be smart with your money. And I think that you should be smart with your money. And I think scripture tells us that we should be smart with our money. But if your wisdom with money ends at this life, the Bible says that you are a fool. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? You can have the best attitude 
towards your personal health, to believe that your body is the temple, to exercise, to keep yourself healthy, to keep yourself well. And if you do, it is a good thing. It is a good thing to be able to maintain a good level of health, to have a great diet, uh, to, have, uh, to maintain good times and good, good uh, ways that you keep yourself healthy through exercise or through whatever means that you do. But if your pursuit of health ends at this life, you've forgotten the whole thing. It's 1 it's Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise both for the life, the present life, and the life that is to come. If you, if you do everything right financially, if you do everything health-wise, and if you've forgotten that you're going to live forever, and the dividends that you get ends at this life, what does that profit? This is what the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart. Holy Spirit's Goal in, with many of us is not to lead us to a great end of life. The goal of the Holy Spirit in working in our lives is to cause us to say, I've got eternity. I need to invest. I need to live now for eternity. You can even live the best life. You can, you can, you can understand and, and walk through the golden rule to, to do unto others as they have them do unto you. You can follow all the biblical principles of integrity and honesty. But if it ends... When you die, you will have dividends. There will be natural things that will happen will be good for you because you're living a godly life. But that isn't the goal. At the end of all things, the goal is to live for eternity. Such an important thing for us to understand. To be smart in everything that we do, which basically is talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is wanting you to be effective for eternity. It's more than just when I get to the end of the line, live my life well, and then God somehow creates a new slate after I've died. Oh, this is the dry one run for heaven that God develops your character now as you go into eternity. So my question for you is this, and I humbly ask this of you. Are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God in a way that it goes past the 80, 90, 100 years that we live, if you're lucky? What if God were to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit that would breathe life into you again? What would happen if all of a sudden you were rewired, refilled, that you were reignited by the Spirit of God this Christmas, and it would make you effective in your lifestyle, and it would make you effective in your voice, and just make you effective in just loving Him with all of your heart? That's a great question, isn't it? I think I would take that over a new car or anything that has to be offered. So God, I just pray at this time that you will move. Father, I just pray that you will move by your spirit. There, there are some of us where you just moved mightily by your spirit before, and somehow we have just allowed that to leak out of our house, our, out of the houses of our lives. And, and Lord, we just want to receive the freshness of the Holy Spirit again 
one more time. We need to see the Spirit of God move in power again in our lives. And I think the greatest gift that you could give us at Christmas again is life again in the Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit moving through our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit being evident in our lives. So I pray that you will move in this moment. I pray, Father, that you will move in a powerful way for anybody who wants that. In Jesus' name.